Welcome to episode 124 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds ever discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Michael, and with me today are the Grand Dukes of Podcasting, Zeb, Ryan, and Noah. Why does it say Daisy Dukes? Who put that in here? Was that you, Zeb? No. It's summer, so Daisy Dukes are perfectly fine anyway. So right. the joke's on you. So, uh, okay, anyway, we have a special guest on the show this week. Perfect timing for that thing. Uh, but before we get to our interview, let's find out how everyone's week has been. So, Noah, how's, how are you, what have you been up to this week? Stupendously spectacular, Michael. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That's a bit um, excessive, but I appreciate I've it. I've been having a really great week. Okay, good, 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 good. What, what have you been doing this week? Well, I've been doing a lot of Linux things. I, uh, I actually I got a different laptop that I am testing out. So I've got an XPS 15 inch that uh, a client actually purchased, and I had a chance to, to, uh, to play with it. So I decided I was going to do a little demo of it for the whole week. So I've been using that all week, and it's been absolutely fantastic and fun and exciting to see uh, what Dell's uh, lineup looks like for uh, right now. Nice. Well, what were your thoughts between that and Lenovo? Because you're a big Lenovo fan as well. Yeah. For, uh, the trackpad took a little bit to get working. I I had to swap for I had to swap out. I believe it was um, there was a different uh, there was a different touch interface that that comes by default, and I had to swap that out. And I can't think of I can't think of what the uh, what the package name is off the top of my head, but I'll I'll make sure to throw a link in the show notes of what I had to install. But there's a separate package. Once I installed that, um, then the then the trackpad worked flawlessly. Otherwise, what would happen is you couldn't right click. Um, the only way to right click was to turn on tap to click. And then I would accidentally t- uh, click on a bunch of stuff. But once I got that squared away, laptop was absolutely flawless. Something that continues to be a, a pain in my tuchus is the, 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 the Thunderbolt docks. Everybody mm-hmm. makes a Thunderbolt dock. Dell makes one, Lenovo makes one. The power buttons on top of them are not standardized. So the power button for a Lenovo Thunderbolt dock only will turn on the ThinkPad and the Dell Thunderbolt dock will only turn on the Dell. Now, if you just open and shut the lid real quick, you can get either of them to work with the rest of the functionality of the Thunderbolt docks. But I feel like we could have standardized on the power button. But other than that, uh, there really isn't much of a difference. You know, the 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 XPS is obviously a little heavier and uh, obviously a little bit more. I wouldn't say durable, but more aluminum. Whereas yeah. the ThinkPad yeah. is is going to be it's going to have more of that rugged feel and 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 but but be a little bit more plasticky feeling. So it's so not, it doesn't I'm look as elegant on the Dell. I'm just comparing the Lenovo to the Dell. And basically, I'm just going to take a, now a clip of you saying that. And that's my whole video and just put my ending and beginning on it. Because that's pretty much what it boils down to. Perfect. If, yeah. if you like the aluminum feel, go with the Dell. If you like the more durable carbon uh, plastic polymer, whatever they want to call it, feel, then go with the Lenovo. Although there's some other differences and things in there as well, like the keyboards and uh, you know, the little nub key and things for the mouse, but ultimately both are pretty awesome for Linux. Yep. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So Ryan, how's your week been? I had a fantastic week. It was it was so Linuxy that I almost need to take a break uh, from for just a minute to go to sleep and uh, think about something else. Uh, maybe I'll go see the Aladdin movie you suggested, Noah, since they use Linux to make it uh, a, little, a little bit there. But we had the lug meeting for Saturday. And uh, the North Georgia Coffee and Linux uh, meetup that I have, and it went so well. We had a ton of people show up, and we did a full Arch install. So one of the individuals there brought, hauled in their monitor, an external monitor, hauled in their laptop. They said, hey, you know, let's, let's do this for everybody to see. The monitor was there so everyone could see the installation there. 
Um, what was great is, um, you know, even though there were, we were using the Arch Phi because we weren't going to go through the whole standard piece, but Arch Phi walks you through the same steps. You could follow the Arch Wiki. It just puts it kind of in a GUI because one of the individuals in my lug group helps contribute to ArchFi. And uh, so that's why we decided to, to utilize that there. But it was just a fantastic learning experience for a lot of people who have been in Linux for a long time, but they've never taken the time to learn Arch because of, you know, basically rumors that flow around in the Linux world saying, oh, it's super hard or it's so difficult to maintain or all of these things that simply aren't true anymore, honestly, except for the installation part. I mean, it's not super easy to install, but it's not very hard either. Uh, so we went through all of that and did it within, you know, uh, within a few hours explaining each command that we were doing, which is why it took a few hours uh, as we were doing them. And um, like I said, there was a lot of uh, help from everybody kind of jumping in and showing their experience in specific areas. Even if they hadn't installed Arch before, perhaps they had experience in the Grub configurations or other areas that they could contribute in. So ultimately, it was just a ton of fun. And the next month is when Bo does live penetration testing there where we're going to break into machines uh, and utilize some of his tools. So a lot of people should be excited for that one coming up. Yep, sounds good. Uh, and Zeb, we, uh, you can't, we can't continue without pointing out the great team red d d d d display behind you right now. Oh, it's so beautiful. And uh, and and also, but w speaking of team red, you did d get some AMD stuff recently. So how's that been for you? Yeah, well, I spent unlike Noah, who spent the whole week using his new piece of equipment. I spent the whole week waiting for it. Um, <laughs> and it, and it finally turned up on Saturday. So Ryan will be happy that I've gone team red with an AMD. Welcome to the family. But I'm staying team green because I've gone with the RTX 2080 Ti. Um, so I couldn't be happier. Now, I just need to work out how to put all those cores to good use. And I know we have a, an avid watcher um, on the YouTube. So no surge. I will not be compiling Gen 2 anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> but it's, it is good that you got the Threadripper. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So before we move on, I just want to give you a reminder for everybody that Self Southeast Linux Fest is coming up, and we're all going to be at the the Southeast Linux Fest, and we're going to be doing a actual live stream. I don't know if is we're going to stream it. I'm just going to record it. Well, I don't know. The, so so, so, so Southeast Southeast Linux Fest will have a live stream from Southeast Linux Fest, and those of us that choose to participate will be coming in and out. I don't know if it will be a, a destination right. Linux branded stream, but yeah, there there'll be a stream that that you'll be able to tune into uh, throughout the course of of Southeast Linux Fest, and then during that we will record our episode of Destination Linux. So if you wanna you wanna catch right. tune, tune into that stream, you can catch it live. If uh, but we wouldn't be able to tell you exactly when it is. I think is what you're trying to say. Right. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Is like the, there's there's a live stream. Destination is going to be that we're going to do a live video uh, episode there. But you know, there's a little bit of a nuance to it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing uh, Destination Linux at at self. We're going to be doing some live streaming. Uh, like various uh, individuals of here of us are going to be doing it. Like Ryan and Zeb are going to be some, doing some live streaming, and uh, we're going to do all kinds of stuff at self. I'll be giving a talk. Noah will be giving some talks. Actually, I, we're both giving multiple talks. So if you're gonna if you're in the area and you'd like to come check it out and have it, we're gonna do a meetup as well. So the lots of stuff is gonna be happening itself. So if you have the ability to be there, make sure you are because it is going to be a great year for self so uh yeah so let's let's move on to the email 
Yep. So we had a really good email this uh, week from Steve. Um, so let's get through that here. So hello, Zeb, Ryan, Noah and Michael. I have so much I would love to say about my experience in Linux, but I will keep my email centered on what I believe the main strength of Linux is the community. As Zeb knows, I'm a Peppermint user. Yeah. Um, and a fellow YouTuber. I'm not trying to promote my channel, but it does have a direct bearing on my email. I'm always amazed and humbled by my subscribers. I recently just finished a two-week assignment away from my company. It has been the first time I have been away from my family for more than five days. I had a team with me, but we were working at all different shifts, so the evenings left me very little company. I was in Vermont, beautiful country, but the weather was not con conducive to going out and about. If I didn't have Linux on my channel, I would have gone stir-crazy. I did have a few opportunities to get out, but it was not always fun to be alone. So enter my subscribers. I figured I would do a stream every day thinking that if, I, if a few showed up, I wouldn't be lonely. Almost every day, a core group of my followers showed up and participated. Many have said they couldn't let me be alone. Many mentioned how we were family. Needless to say, I got choked up a few times. We had a running joke going on about the lovely hotel Wi-Fi I was on. Uh, the streams were not of the highest quality, except when I did YouTube Live. My followers never, never hesitated, never stopped watching for 13 days of streams. I have gained a few new ones. It was amazing. I often say Linux is more than a kernel. The community that is growing in Linux these days have some of the most amazing people. I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of them. It made my two-week stay very tolerable. I don't know what I would have done without them. Because of them, I even started coining a new phrase. Come for Linux, stay for the community. May the four of you continue to grow and fill our minds. Notice I didn't pick on Michael. It's only because I'm on the live stream and I'll do that in his chat. Thank you. <laughs> and long live Linux, Steve. Wow, awesome. that's an awesome email. Thank you, Steve, for sending that on. And I know you weren't trying to promote your channel, but uh, Steve's very own on YouTube is what you can go to check him out there. Absolutely. We want to hear from you, our listeners. Send in your favorite software or tips and tricks. We would love to know what tools make your Linux experience amazing. We'd love to know how Linux keeps you sane, just like Steve did in his last email. Is there a, perhaps a particular topic you want us to talk about other than Michael's dual booting? If you'd like to, send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, for those who may not know, Jason is a podcaster, a technology enthusiast, a writer for Forbes, and a Linux advocate. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks. Really cool to be here, you guys. Awesome. We're really excited to have you and talk to you today to, uh, to learn more about your Linux journey. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Jason, you've had an interesting journey into Linux. So I guess let's just start from the beginning. Tell me the story and tell the story to our listeners. How did this all get started for you? Oh, man. So the I, I think the origin story actually goes back to the early 2000s, believe it or not. Oh, wow. When I was... Believe it or not, I bought my first PC um, only back in the early 2000s. I, I'd owned PCs before, or used them, I should say, but I actually bought, it was a Dell, oh man, it was one of the old, just the old Dell slim form factor uh, systems. Optiplex. Maybe, it could have been an Optiplex, actually. It could have been something along those lines. I, I was, you know, transforming into 
a geek at that point, especially in the realm of uh, gaming, PC gaming and graphics cards and mm-hmm. things like that. And I remember just experimenting very briefly with Linux and specifically Red Hat and OpenSUSE. In fact, yes. it wasn't open. It wasn't OpenSUSE back then, was it? I don't know. You said Red Hat, though, so that's really what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, it was just SUSE back then, I'm pretty sure. I actually, I actually had purchased a boxed copy from Best Buy. Nice. Yeah, I think that during the boxed copy days, it was the SUSE Linux option, where it was before they did the enterprise, it was just SUSE Linux. Yeah, you know, it was sitting on the, on the bottom shelf of the uh, software section in Best Buy, like a, just a discarded idea or something. But... Uh, <laughs> And that was that was the highlight of my Linux experience back in the early 2000s because everything after that was a confusing mess. So uh, you started I, I, using I, Linux and then you stopped for a long period of time. It sounds like yeah, I just it was it was a curiosity, right? And it just it just baffled me. It really just baffled me. Uh, I was fascinated by it, but I was not patient enough to actually give it the time that it probably needed back then. You know, I was, I was making a mistake with drivers every two to three days and had to, you know, nuke and pave every single time. And, uh, it, it it just didn't last long. Just, it just didn't last long. Yeah. It was the wild west back then. (laughs) It really, yeah, it really was. And because of that, I ignored Linux for a long time, much longer than I really should have until what was it? It was July of just last year. Look, can we just step back for just a second? What did you use in the interim? Were you a Mac guy, a Windows guy, a whatever happened to be in front of me, whatever work gave me kind of guy? I was, so I was primarily a Mac guy, actually, uh, okay. because after that experience, I started a, in 2004, I started an indie music podcast called Insomnia Radio. Oh, very cool. And that was all heavily influenced by the iPod and, and you know, all of that. So, and by the way, we hand wrote our RSS feed back in the days, kids. <laughs> I've done it and once. Coded. Um, and so, yeah, so I was a Mac guy for, for quite a while. And I probably used Mac exclusively for six to seven years. And then uh, I had Windows around in my life. But, but then when I started uh, back in, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, really covering the, the PC space and the graphics card space, uh, then I went pretty much all exclusively Windows. So then um, last July, it was just, you know, it was <laughs> something that happens to so many Windows users, right? And it, it's just a matter of which, ex- which experience is the last straw for you. Mm-hmm. And my last straw was I had this huge like 300, 400 gigabyte file transfer that I was trying to get done for a project. And I'll give you two guesses what happened in the middle of it. Screen. Reboot. Reboot. Yes, really whoever said reboot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sudden, unexpected, unwelcome reboot. And I just, that was it. That was just it. That, that is and very common, especially for like the latest versions of Windows now. Yeah. And I just threw up my hands and I thought, okay, fine, fine. I'm going to see. I, I just need a change. I need less stress. I That's think- really what it came down to. I was so, I was so angry at, at the constant stress and headaches that I had with Windows. And I decided I needed to change. I think what everybody should be paying attention to here in, in Jason's story is twofold. So first of all, what it was that that seemed like a more appealing alternative to him when Linux didn't fit the bill, and what do we need to do as a community to fix that? And then the second part of that is what things are frustrating 
users on Windows and Mac OS and what can we do that they can't do? And I think both of those things mm. are really useful insight that should not go over the heads of people. Yeah, I agree with that. But also to point out like the, the things that Linux couldn't do was, you know, like 19 years ago. <laughs> sure. But I mean, but that, what I'm saying is like that was a pain point and that's what brought him to another platform. Right. Let's pay attention to that. Let's not ignore that lesson. What I was interested in, Jason, is you talked about being on a Mac. Now, a lot of people who live and breathe the Mac world will talk about it's easy, it's simple. So it sounds like at some point you went from Mac back to Windows or you had a combination of both. Did you feel the mm -hmm. same way when you were using Mac that, you know, this isn't what I signed up for? Because obviously Mac's not known for its blue screen to death, but kind of... To be, to be honest, I have very little complaints about Mac OS. Mm -hmm. um, Even today? Not surprising. Even yeah, even today. Uh, all I to be clear, all I use Mac OS for today is music creation. Awesome. What is it that you find uh, appealing about Linux over Mac OS? Customization. Freedom. Okay. Cool. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and well, that's. I don't know if I would I would list that as my highest priority answer. I think the most appealing thing to me is that I'm not locked into an ecosystem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless you consider Linux and the kernel itself an ecosystem, but no, I no. can, you know, I can have software that I either purchased or or actively use for free on any distribution that I want on any PC that I want. That's very cool. And I think that's that's what really ultimately got me about uh, Apple and and Mac OS is just being locked into that ecosystem. I would agree. Mm -hmm. I think that it's probably the the one of the fundamental benefits of it is not necessarily. Uh, I think accessibility is the wrong term for it, but just having access to use whatever you want on whatever you want is the best options for, is one of the reasons Linux is so good. Uh, I'm curious though, what was your first distro to uh, get into Linux when you did that last year? It was Linux Mint. Interesting. Was it, did you I, uh, stay with it very long or was it kind of like just, you wanted to dabble? No, it was about, it was about 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're just, you're just dabbling then. Okay. I wasn't even dabbling. So um, I came across, I, I was aware of Linux Mint, of course, you know, because I, I was kind of from the sidelines. Um, I was paying attention to Linux space around the time that Valve was talking about the Steam machines. I was at CES when, when at, the, at the press event that Gabe Newell was talking about nice. Steam machines. And so it, that's when it really popped on my radar, but I didn't want to use it at that point. But I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really great to have something come along and challenge Microsoft. And if if there was a company that was going to do it in the PC gaming space, it was going to be Valve. Right? Yeah, definitely. I find um, this really fascinating here because we've, we've talked to a lot of folks who've been in Linux for a long time. And usually their stories start off with, well, you know, I, I got a CD on a magazine and that's how I found Linux and I plugged it in and I had some issues. But I think we have to realize at Linux now that there's a whole new community coming to Linux. They're not finding Linux because of magazines and CDs because, well, those barely exist anymore. Uh, they're more so finding it from other elements and that's gaming. And yeah, and, and I, I mean, to take that one, one step further, Ryan, I would say that they're looking for it. They're not just stumbling across it, right? I think they're actively looking for it. Whether yeah, it's, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say I agree. And when we get a lot of feedback, sometimes we get feedback because we have a small gaming section in our in our podcast where people are like, well, I don't know why you cover games. I'm not interested in games. Well, a lot of people are, so not really relevant feedback. But number two, gaming is something, <laughs> even if you're not interested in it, that moves people 
towards the operating system. It is an important facet when your home users are sitting at home and thinking about what do I need for my computer to get the fullness out of it. It's not just word processor. It's not just a web browser. It's also the ability to watch videos, watch movies, and play video games on the computer, especially when you spend as much as a lot of people do for the hardware they do these days. It's something that they're interested in. But I love what you said that they're seeking it out. And I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I see stories. I, I see people's stories every day in Reddit on Twitter where, you know, they, they're going through the exact same situation. Well, I lost all my data. Well, I'm sick of these, un, you know, I'm sick of the bloatware. I'm sick of the telemetry. I'm sick of the whatever, take your pick, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever grievance they have against Windows. And at the same time, they're, they're having those frustrations. And then they're seeing people like uh, Linus Tech Tips with a million plus subscribers talking about gaming on Linux. And more, you guys have all seen the most recent one where they, I think even the hosts themselves were surprised at how far along just the user experience had come in the, just the overall usability and compatibility with things like, you know, Manjaro and Pop! OS, right? I mean, those distributions are actually easier to get up and running with gaming than Windows. Mm -hmm. Provided that, you know, provided you don't want to play Fortnite or, or, you know, something with uh, that nasty uh, anti-cheat stuff, but <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, if you're talking about just installing the OS and having your drivers and software ready to start gaming, it's remarkably easy compared to Windows. Mm-hmm. Yep, excellent. But I think I think I went off on a tangent. I wanted to tell you guys, um, it's not. I, well, I wanted to say that I don't have anything against Linux Mint. It's just that I was on a mission to find something ridiculously easy. Right. One one hurdle and I was done with it. That that was just the mindset that I was in. I'm, and now, you know, I just recently installed Arch. So clearly things change. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, at the time, it the, the Linux Mint installer had not detected my NVMe drive. And that was it. That was it for me. Just like, OK, well, I guess I'll try Ubuntu. And just to give you some advice for the future, because this is going to be really important. Now that you're on Arch, you want to start your answer with how you got into Linux with, by the way, now I use Arch. Then you can go in. Oh, see? That's, that's kind of how we do it. But you're I'm just, just learning. Not used to, I'm not used to utilizing that meme at all. So, <laughs> all right. You'll get there. <laughs> okay. So um, you've been involved in other companies prior to Forbes, um, such as AMD, PC World, Western Digital, and the like. Um, so how- You did your homework. <laughs> Ryan did his homework. We're just reading off the screen. Um, so how did your passion for writing and technology start? And more importantly, when did it start? Man. This is when Michael might have to edit out a big, long pause. Um, <laughs> totally fine. I'm going to have to think about this because these are two very different questions. When, when did my passion for writing about technology start? Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Okay. Wow. Well, your passion for writing and your passion for writing technology stuff. Well, my okay. My passion for writing started when I was about fifteen. I <laughs> I was writing short stories and 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 lyrics and uh, making kind of doing the weird owl thing and like writing you know alternate parody lyrics to existing uh, believe it or not Christian rock songs. That's awesome. Um, Interesting. Which is a whole fascinating side story, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but when it comes to technology, you know, I grew up 
in California with my stepdad who owned a computer tech business. And this was back in the, um, wow, mid 80s. So our garage was just full of old IBM PCs and those big beige towers and those amazing Mm -hmm. mechanical keyboards and floppies everywhere. And that's when I kind of got my first taste for computers and and technology. Um, Because I would (laughs) would sneak in there at night after everyone had gone to bed and like just fire up a random PC and start throwing floppies in it like to see what happened. I was like 10. You know, and I, I had no idea how this stuff worked, and I yes. uh, I did uh, I did mess up a few things, but <laughs> that's that's the learning process. That's our <laughs> yeah. But I I really wasn't. Gosh, I this probably isn't some uh, mind blowing story, but it was around two thousand five or two thousand six when I can't even tell you what happened, but I just started writing about tech. I, I, I can't remember. I mean, I know that's not a, a, you know, kind of a boring answer, but um, I decided I, I was just fascinated by, by PCs and specifically by, by PC gaming and gadgets. And I just fired up a website called hardwarelust.com and, <laughs> nice. and just started blogging about it. Let me ask you this, Jason, at what point did you decide this is what I want to do full time? This is how I want to make my living. I want to make my living by writing about technology because to a certain degree, there's a lot of risk there, right? Especially if you're not going to live, you know, around or with friends and family that, you know, as kind of a safety net, I mean, it's kind of got to work so you to be able to eat. How, how did that decision come about? Hmm. Um, you guys are asking some tough questions. Uh, so to be fair, you don't have to answer that. Uh, that was my way of trying to make the the previous question, rephrase the, the previous question easier. I figured I figured eating would, would be something that would stand out in your mind more. You're really dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, to be honest with you guys, I didn't know that I wanted to do this until I signed on with Forbes, oh, okay. which was 2012. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know. Um, I didn't have the just driving passion for it until I got affiliated with Forbes and realized how much freedom I had, you know, because, because when I was writing for, I was writing for college news magazine, I was writing for, uh, do you guys remember examiner.com? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You know? And so, so with those various outlets, it was just, okay, you're writing about console games, just, you know, Xbox or PS or Xbox or PlayStation games. Or over here, just writing these fluff pieces, but you know the five coolest laptops for college kids, and you know three you like won't that. believe. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of satisfaction with that. It paid the bills, but but when I got to Forbes and I realized I can do this job from home, and I can have all this amazing tech sent to me, and I can cover pretty much anything under the sun as long as I'm not intruding upon someone else's specific swim lane or or whatever just you know butting into specifically what they're covering and that's why i've been able to go from reviewing um high-end boutique gaming pcs to graphics cards to writing about nintendo switch to landing on linux full-time 
Uh, I think your journey is really interesting because uh, in, in a lot of ways, we actually share a lot of parallels. Uh, obviously, I was brand new to Linux, never planned to kind of stay with it. was getting frustrated with privacy issues in Windows. And then later on, uh, and growing up as a kid, my dad ran a computer shop. So I was around oh, really? technology the whole time huh. uh, and always had a passion and love and remember lots of beige cases and getting cut <laughs> yeah. lots of times building those machines. Because back then, they, they, you know, I still, I guess, if you get some of the cheap cases, but they didn't fold over the edges. So they were like razor blades every time you stuck yes. your hand in to uh, work on the components. Um, but you know, one of the things I noticed when I came into Linux is started doing videos on it. There was this stigma around the Linux community. Um, mm. you know, some people were telling me, oh, you're going to have a horrible experience. These people over here can be so mean. But my experience was I was getting honestly nothing like that. Everybody was really, really kind and wanting me in there. So when you jumped into Linux, uh, recently, and you started doing some pieces. What was your experience like with the Linux community? Oh, and we could we could talk about this for two hours straight. Challenge to accepted. begin to, to directly answer your question. It was nothing short of incredible, uplifting, surprising. After being you know embroiled in AMD and Nvidia, Xbox, Nintendo, PlayStation, uh, you know Android, iOS, right those communities have a tendency to be especially toxic if you do not say something they agree with. Yep. And from one week to the next, you are either in Microsoft's pocket or you're in AMD's pocket or you're in Sony's pocket, depending on what you're writing about, depending on what your opinion is at the time. But when I started covering Linux, it wasn't just that the community was so supportive of what was happening. It's that here I was bouncing from from distro to distro, and I didn't I didn't witness a lot of that. Man, you you really shouldn't be using Ubuntu. You should be using Zorin OS, or you should be using Arch. It was it was handled with a lot more tact. You know, it was like, oh, I, you know, it's cool that you enjoy that in Ubuntu. This is what I like about Arch, and maybe you should check it out sometime. And there was this real. Um, it was a sense of acceptance. It was a sense of, we don't really care what you're using, but you're sitting here promoting and, and giving kind of a different spin to Linux on this major website and, you know, keep going. Yep. So I, I really haven't seen a lot. I've seen some, sure, because you see it in every community. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. But the percentage of it compared to everything else I've covered has been so low and the community itself, especially my, my Twitter community. I mean, those guys <laughs> and girls <laughs> um, are, are just a joy. And I, I have learned so much just from talking to these people on Twitter and nice. it, I've probably advanced my knowledge of the whole Linux world just from sitting on Twitter and, and engaging with these people. Um, so it's really, there, there's something I've been saying lately. It's that the best thing about Linux has nothing to do with an operating system. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, a lot that's of ways, where I stand. You're, you're right. The community is just amazing. I was telling uh, earlier that I was on OpenSUSE's forums with a issue, hardware issue, and somebody random I've never met spent all day replying to my messages within minutes, troubleshooting an issue with me. Complete stranger, going to make no money on it. Spent his whole day with me on Saturday. <laughs> Yeah. troubleshooting an issue for no reason other than the 
the want to fix it. It doesn't benefit them any. They didn't have the same hardware I had, so it made it hard to test, but they mentioned that and yet still wanted to sit there and just fix it just because. And what Hmm. other community are you going to go to that somebody is going to take that much time to help you with something? I just can't think of anything else like it, period. It's amazing. Yeah. This is the community that is not only accepting, but they're all, we're also, we care about it for the majority of the community. You have the position where most people don't care that you're using well, what Linux version you're using as long as Linux is a part of it. So like, that's the biggest mm. be- benefit of it. Cause is no. that's the main reason why people are accepting of it. And especially when you start talking about it and, you know, embracing it the way you did. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that it didn't, uh, uh, you didn't have that experience to at least have a little bit of people coming in being toxic just because the, you know, people love to comment on uh, anonymously on blog posts and stuff. But you know, it's, it's fantastic to hear that, that the majority of the community, cause that's how I've always experienced Linux and I've been in around it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it's always been 90% are awesome people who you enjoy talking to. And there's a, just a small pocket of toxic that, you know, every community has in general. Yeah, I would say it's even higher. <laughs> not, not that I have any way of you know testing that or backing it up, but yeah, yeah it's ninety nine percent. the the only um, The only source of tension that I've really noticed lately is when I started to talk about purism, <laughs> and I started covering the uh, the Librem fifteen, and uh, just you know, purism kind of popped itself on my radar a little bit more, and I started discovering that divide between. The pragmatists, right? The the people who are a little bit more uh, embracing of commercial software and just using the tools on Linux that they need to get their job done, and the other side of the fence, which is sort of the um, GNU slash Linux. You never invite a GNU slash Linux fanatic into your home ever. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> who are very, you know, very. Uh, uh, I want to. I'm going to use the word devout. They're very devout about only open nothing commercial nothing proprietary and so there's i've i've seen a lot of a lot of friction and tension between those two sides of the fence but it hasn't been anything real nasty yeah i mean there's also there's definitely some people who have a different opinions about the the foss side versus the pragmatist side and i think that even the pragmatists are on the side of prefer FOSS and use it as much as possible. But every once in a while, if there's something else, then just use that. Um, but there's still the, the, the majority of the people are still on the side of the FOSS, just not that, that far on that side. And mm-hmm. I think that, that there is a, a tension there, but it's still a, you know, a reasonable tension that it's still a, there's a, there's a level of respect either, either, either way, because the people are still, you know, they're still interested in the same thing and they still want the same thing. They just have a different perspective. Um, right, but there's there there are some issues with uh, various different disagreements with it when it comes to some companies because of how they handle certain things, not necessarily what they're pushing. Like for example, with the purism thing, there are some people who are against purism because they talk about the um, you know having the like the great hardware and the greatest latest and stuff, but they actually haven't updated in a while. So there's there's people who who mention that stuff. You know, there's overall things about 
when they first announced the Librem One thing, there were people talking about how they weren't upfront about forking other applications. Like they they're mm-hmm. totally okay with them doing it and say it's you know it's great that you were forking it and providing some extra benefit to those to those projects, but not being upfront about it. So there's there's issues there here and there where majority of the time it's like nitpicking things. But for the that most just part, comes down, yeah, that just comes down to transparency, though. You know, yeah. purism should have been more transparent about it. They're, they're not doing anything wrong. Right. Like, it's just but that's when, what I'm saying. It's like it's just nitpicking yeah. to make sure that, like, let's just have it all in the same playing field. And then, you know, then whatever you want to do is great because you're you're supporting Linux and you're supporting community. So fantastic. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm the guy who says, you know what? Ubuntu 1910 is going to slap the uh, the NVIDIA proprietary driver right onto the ISO. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's, but can that's you less also of a, be the guy that says Ubuntu needs to also do the same for AMD because that would help? No, no, because no. I, well, because I think okay, but I think I think that the the Mesa drivers are superior to AMD's. They are superior, so, but there are cases where people well, professional need, graphics, right? Hold on, let's let's, let's let's be spe- specific. We're not talking about the proprietary drivers for AMD. We're talking about making sure that the stuff for Mesa and the kernel stuff is updated faster and better, more accessible. Oh. Or, for example, doing a thing with AMD as a company because and work together with AMD to make like a PPA that makes it easier to get those drive to get the updated versions in a separate, some kind of separate system, not necessarily proprietary. Oh, and yeah. yeah, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. Just make sure That's that the, the, the hardware you just announce is available for the users too, if they purchase it to use Linux. And that's the, right. That's because the I had, I had so many problems with both uh, the RX 590 and the Radeon seven. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is kind of the frustrating part for me in certain, you know, distros are basically doing a lot for NVIDIA, which I have no issue with, which is fantastic. Bake it into the kernel, make it a checkbox make it dance on your screen and then tell you buy NVIDIA, fine, but at least do the same thing for AMD that you've done for NVIDIA um, because there are cases in which whether you have an older uh, AMD card in which you need actually the proprietary driver to run or you need OpenCL specifically for certain professional applications where the the non-proprietary version of AMD won't work, nobody's really bending over backwards to help AMD and yet they're the ones writing eight times more open source code they open source their drivers, but we're bending over backwards for NVIDIA. And I get it because, hey, they own a majority share of the market. Although, if you're watching the trends based on what yeah, AMD is that can change real quick. Yeah. So this is where I think Linux needs to get on the bandwagon and help out the others there that are helping out open source more. Um, and certainly, I know with your audience, you could help get that message out uh, as well. So. That's, a, that's something that I will consider. I, I hadn't really thought about that angle before. Yeah, and also the, the 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 funny thing about the AMD versus NVIDIA on, like, let's just talk about the community aspects of it. AMD versus NVIDIA on Windows is toxic. AMD on and NVIDIA versus NVIDIA on Linux is whichever one you like is who cares. But we'll still joke about it. Like we'll, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we'll give you a little hard yeah. time, but it's just it's just in jokey form. It's not really a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just so that in case you haven't spotted it, Ryan is Team Red with all of the green tiles behind him. <laughs> and I'm seeing green with all the red tiles behind me. That's right. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I'm curious, uh, you've been writing for different, uh, you know, technology and everything, but how, how is it different for writing for Linux versus other technology and other operating systems that you've done in the past? Like how is, is oh, the... Oh, I'm so glad you asked me this question. <laughs> Absolutely. Go ahead. This is such a good question. There's, there's, one, there's one thing. And it's the fact that when you're writing about almost any other technology that depends on a regular news cycle, 
or a regular release cycle, you know, um, products that have to be, if you publish a review two weeks after the Radeon 7 comes out, no one cares because they've already seen 50 reviews, etc. If you don't publish, uh, I don't know, take your pick, any, anything from Computex, you know, a new system, uh, yeah, that's being released at Computex. If you don't write that within the first 10 minutes, then the world has moved on already. There's even people who are talking about right. We're talking about other people writing and making videos about it. So they're not even addressing it. Yeah, but the it's it's so awesome. It really is so awesome. I feel like I can wake up in the morning and I can dictate what do I want to learn today and write about. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Do I do I want to get uh you know. Cody set up on my Raspberry Pi. Do I want to try and create a some kind of network backup? Do I want to try to learn to install Arch? And these things have been around for months. You know, I can write up some opinion about Ubuntu 1804 and people show up to read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can benchmark two-year-old games and just say, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna compare um Mint versus Manjaro versus Pop OS on these two systems and see what the experience is like, you know, the Linux gaming report thing that I'm doing and people show up to read it. And so it's that it's so liberal. It's so uh, just, ah, I can't find the right adjective. It's so nice. Um, knowing that I can have that freedom to learn about Linux and experience it at my own pace and write almost anything. And, uh, people are, are enjoying it and they're supportive of it. And they're, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that they've been using Linux 20, 25 years and they're learning new things from what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's just so many teachers in Linux. That's what is neat oh, to me is, like you know, that. you've got the master and apprentice thing going on in Linux that um, the the folks who've been around it so long are eager to help you learn as long as you're willing to try and give it a shot because the people I see that do get in, try to do the Linux material, because right now Linux is really gaining in popularity. So a lot of people are trying to get into the YouTube or writing articles and things about it. And the only people I see that kind of fail are the ones that kind of come in saying, okay, I've, t- I've tried this for three days. So therefore I'm an expert. Let me tell you why it's junk. Um, whereas if you come in with the humble idea of here's what I had noticed now, I don't know if this is me or something else, but this is a problem that I ran into. Then all the masters and teachers are going to jump in and be like, well, you could have done this, 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 or this. And it's just a yeah. very amazing um, community that I, like, I, like I was talking about, I don't think I've ever experienced it anywhere in tech before. And I've been in tech, made my living in tech um, for almost two over two decades now. So it, it's just, it's amazing to see um, a community like this even exist, that you could have somebody with 25 years experience stop what they're doing that day to help you. It's, it's just fascinating. Yeah. 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 You've done some challenges and testing out various distros and out of all the ones that you've tested, what do you think your current favorite distro is and which one, if, if you were based on your personal opinion, would you say this just isn't for me. I'm sure it's a great distro. It's just not one I could ever use full time. Mm. Linux Mint is the one that I, I don't think is for me because I have gone back and tried it. Um, I'm working on the, a new Linux gaming report with, with Linux Mint. And I've tried it you know, off and on uh, throughout the last six months. And there's nothing at all wrong with it. It's just something I don't, I can't even tell you what it is, it, whether it's the desktop, the way the desktop is laid out or 
the way the updates happen. It just, it's one of those distros that doesn't reach out and grab me. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't, it, I don't know, it, it's perfectly good as far as I can tell. And there's great software and it's responsive and it's stable, but um, it's just not, I don't know, not rubbing me the right way, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the people who just want it to work or, you know, like, and there's some people who have, like, we've tried different distros and say, it's doing what I want it to do, but it's not doing anything that's interesting to me. So it's like, it's good, but it's a boring good, you know, like that, that I've, seen, I've heard that, that describe a lot of different distros like that. Cause they, yeah. if it just, yeah. if it just does what they want without much effort or they're doing it in a different way that you kind of want to like, you want something different just having like a different layout, different paradigm, even like that in itself could be something that would, you know, push you away because if like, maybe you're so sick of windows, you don't want to use the windows paradigm. <laughs> you know, it, maybe, I mean, that, that honestly could be part of it. Right. I think another part of it, Noah, is that I am still so relatively inexperienced and I have tried so many different distros in under a year that I haven't quite, narrowed down what it is that I'm looking for or mm. what turns me off. Sure. You know, I don't have that like specific set of requirements in my head yet. Mm-hmm. Well, aside aside from it, it definitely has to, it definitely has to have current graphics drivers because I'm a, I'm a gaming guy and I do a lot of graphics benchmarking nice. and it has to be easy to install. When you, if, if somebody came up to you and they said, Jason, I want to get into, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of Windows. I'm tired of Mac OS. Uh, I, I just need my computer to work. What distro do you give them? Arch. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Pop OS. Okay. Pop OS is what, that's the, that is the, that is the most introductory, uh, well-polished distro out there in your opinion. I think it's definitely the, hmm. honestly, yeah, I, I do. I think it's, okay. I think it's the most user-friendly. I think it is more user-friendly and polished than Ubuntu. And uh, I think cool. I think that I would recommend Manjaro, but there are too many ways for people to mess up Manjaro. Mm-hmm. I, know that, I know that they frame it as a beginner-friendly distribution, and it starts out that way. But It's Arch-based, so no. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah, fundamental... Well, okay, but but, just but you know what I'm arch. saying, right? It is. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, mean, I agree mm-hmm. with you completely. It looks kind of like when by default... It has that vibe that it's kind of beginner friendly because it's like it's they're they're kind of saying that it's, it's beginner for Arch, and that part's probably true. It's a good beginner right. for Arch, but it's not good for beginners in general. That's kind I mean, of like it's trivial. Yeah, it's trivial to install. Right, but it once you get anything messed up, yeah. But if someone yeah. decides I'm going to add the AUR right, and and they don't understand <laughs> that uh, <laughs> yeah. those all that software isn't necessarily vetted and checked for security and you know yeah. it's uh, also not made for manjaro anyway so like even if you do get right. a problem and you and there is a developer on the aur who's willing to help you if you're not using arch they don't have it they don't they don't they can't help you because they're not using that system and they're not using those like the packages could be named differently and that those just anything like that could create a, a, a little barrier mm-hmm. on, on that question no, I, security vetted though let me just add add for you something that um alan pope from ubuntu said the other night on um uh, on one of the streams, if you think every piece of software that's in the Ubuntu repositories is security vetted, huh. you're, sh- you're completely mistaken. There just yep. isn't the manpower for every single piece of software hmm. to be checked 
has it been patched to the latest version? So just because it's the AUR, you can have the similar problem with security on stuff that's in uh, the Ubuntu repository. Interesting, the AUR does allow you immediately within the commands to do something that you're not going to be able to as easily do um, in the uh, Ubuntu repositories is review the code because it's literally an option right as you're installing an AUR. Do you want to review this package? Yes or no. And oh. so you do have that ability to look in there. And some of the packages, um, some people go, well, I don't know anything that I could see a problem with. Well, some of the packages would have had spoofs in the past, literally had in plain text, you know, mining, mining. Oh, you no know, way. Yeah. It, what was the last one? It was like a year ago, Michael, but it literally yeah. had like it was a crypto miner, crypto miner in the in the text. So you, you could see it's not you don't have to be a coding expert to tell. And I'd actually, you know, to Zeb's point there, which is a very good one, uh, the, a lot of the repos people um, will will use that argument a lot with Arch that, you know, the repos aren't tested or checked by everybody. But the same could be said for any of these distros. I think That's the fair. difference to me with um Ubuntu and Manjaro. If you're on AMD, I think Manjaro is perfectly fine for a brand new user. I don't think you're going to run into any issues. The issues I remember as a new user running into with Manjaro at any Arch-based distro was when I was on NVIDIA, they would update the drivers and you'd get that blinking black screen with the blinking cursor issue once in a while when they would update the drivers. I have since been completely unable to crash Arch um, at all being when I switched to AMD. So I think if you are an NVIDIA user, yeah, pop OS, that type of thing. But I don't know that I would necessarily, depending if the person wants to learn. In fact, I had a question just today on my YouTube channel, someone wanting to go to Manjaro and I struggled with it because I'm like, well, if you want to learn and you're on AMD, go for it. If you're on NVIDIA and want to learn, know that you're probably going to have a driver update at some point that's going Huh. to break your system. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. It's, I think it's more of an issue of calling it beginner friendly. Like it's not really. Okay. Okay. It's not, not though. It's got a software score. If you have to put a qualifier everything. to it, then it's not something you should say it's beginner friendly. If you have to say, well, it's beginner friendly. If you have this hardware, if you want to learn, uh, like, and, okay. And see, this is where, this is where I have to circle back to Noah's original question. It's not a, it's not a blanket answer. It's really yeah. not. It's sure. Because all well, humans aren't the same. Right. You know, what are you, what do you want to use Linux for? Mm-hmm. Do you have all Intel hardware? Because that certainly makes it easier. We can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, yep. and there's, so there's so many, there's so many variables. Um, so I try to ask them at least a couple questions. What, you know, what, uh, not about their experience, but more what their, their goals are. What are they using it for? Do they like the way a Windows desktop looks or do they want something completely different? Yep. Things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, um, I will say, though, that I think, I think Noah had also asked about, you know, my favorite distro so far. And it is Pop! OS, but it was Ubuntu for the first six, seven months of, of this journey of mine because it was the doorway. You know, it's, yep. it's the one that worked and, it's, uh, yep. and it was wonderful. And I love, love something about something about Ubuntu on an XPS 13 laptop. It's just a dream. But uh, yeah, I started noticing that System 76 is a little more agile, right? And, and they can implement changes a little bit faster. And so you start to see, well, they've got this polished, you know, GNOME based uh, desktop. 
I, I mean, I think that I think that I saw some people request that they add Lutris to the repository, and like a week later, it was there, and the Lutris guys and System Seventy Six worked together on it, and a week or two later, there it was. Mm-hmm. And wow. So yeah, so they're just a little more agile, a little leaner, and I think that they, you know, they can have that newer software, those newer drivers, and make those community changes so much faster than a larger company like Canonical can. Mm-hmm. All right. So a similar question with this time focusing on a desktop. You've you've pointed out that you that you enjoyed Ubuntu for six months and then now you like Pop OS. So there's obviously some GNOME influence in there. So which desktop environment do you prefer the most? What makes it stand out amongst the rest? And why is it XFCE? <laughs> I love it, Zeb. Well, why is it XFCE? Oh man. So to be clear, I obviously use GNOME, right? Because I started with Ubuntu. I'm now on Pop OS. Um, I like, for the most part, I like the interface and I like the distraction-free environment that, that it gives you. But when I finally got beat into submission, so to speak, by, <laughs> by some of my peers into trying XFCE, I was stunned at how fast everything felt. Yeah. And I'm talking about little things like snapping a window or using Firefox you know, uh, startup time for, for terminal, like everything felt so much faster, but it looked like garbage. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Nobody can argue. When I spent, yeah. uh, yeah. It's so true. And right. They, they really need to update their marketing a little bit, but it's, you have to invest the time into making it look good. But once you do, it is, not just going to be faster, but especially for laptop users, which I'm primarily a laptop user, you are going to get lower temperatures, overall system temperatures doing the same exact things, about the same kind of level of performance. And you're also going to get about 20 to 30% more battery life. And so I'm starting to make that shift to, to XFCE. And the reason, that, what held me back is the lack of high DPI support. That's that's a deal breaker, sadly. Yeah. And I know, I know you can go in there and you can tweak some things, but it just doesn't feel right uniform yeah. as something that has high DPI support. And so when I got the, um, well, I have a uh, XPS 13, which is kind of my daily driver on the laptop side. And it's a 4k screen. It's a 13 inch 4k screen. And I just, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't make that leap. I didn't want to invest all that tweaking and troubleshooting into making everything look good. Uh, but then I got the system 76 Oryx pro, which is a 1080p display. So now I'm, I'm seriously considering doing maybe, maybe even going along the lines of uh, blasphemy and, and nuking pop OS and doing something like arch and XFCE or uh, Manjaro and XFCE. Not anything, you, anything you, is you put the Linux on it. It's not blasphemy. If you put Windows on it, you, then maybe. Well, okay, okay. You know what though? I, a, a sick side of me does want to does want to see how Windows performs on a on a laptop that is specifically designed. There's to run some it. science. It's not very good. It's completely unethical. Um, what? How, how would you describe high DPI support on Linux right now? Because you know, when if you buy uh, going back to a MacBook, you buy a MacBook. 
you just turn the thing on and it's going to work. And all of the applications are going to look fine. Everything's going to be there. And, and my experience with high DPI on Linux has been even the distros that quote unquote support them out of the box, you still have those four or five applications that you open up and they just don't respect any of the scaling. And all of a sudden, then, then you're back to, yeah, then you're back to mm-hmm. digging in and pixel doubling and all that nonsense. I mean, is, is, are we, are we making progress? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. No, if I've been around long enough to say if it's making progress, I don't know that I've seen any substantial improvements in the last 10 months. What I know is that whenever I do install a GNOME or KDE or even Cinnamon-based desktop on a high DPI display, everything looks really good out of the box, provided that it's part of the distro. Right, right. So it's like what you're saying. You know, sometimes I don't know if it's OPS or it's Steam or... uh, GIMP has a tendency to look terrible on the the the, the a, a small just period, screen. just period, right out of the box. Well, just period. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there are like those you know five percent of of software out there that that don't seem to play nice, and I I don't know why that is on a technical level, but it's because I, they're using old technology, like GIMP, for example, still in GTK two, which GTK two uh, has no high DBI whatsoever. So anything that uses that, that's one of the reasons why XFCE has that issue of high DPI. They're, the next version is going to have GTK3, so it will be high DPI compatible. But like that, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I honestly think, maybe this is a bit of an aggressive stance, but I honestly think that you should not even bother releasing that software unless it has support for beyond 1080p screens. Exactly. Period. Yeah, exactly. but it, it, what, you're giving people a bad every, first experience, right? Every week, go, well, I'm going back to Photoshop, or I'm going back to sure. But what about the software that has existed for Gimp's been around for it, 20 years? Every week, so. every week that we don't have that available for screens that are higher than 1080p, we are losing ground. We're not even keeping up. It's not we're getting ahead. We're losing ground. Like 4K <laughs> is the standard in 2019. So to Jason's point, Every week that goes by that somebody has a new release of a software that isn't that should be the highest priority to make it work on 4K screens because that that is becoming the standard. I don't I think, think the it's problem the standard, is we don't it's... have the hardware. A, a lot of times, even when we had Richard Brown on, right, they had they received some hardware from AMD, and now they were looking for new hardware because the hardware they had received was much older. And a lot of these distros don't have the hardware to test. They don't have 4K screens. Uh, mm-hmm. They they don't no no vendors are sending them this stuff so there does have to be I, I agree with you Noah wholeheartedly and I think in fact one of the problems in Linux right now is people don't take hard stances that's why I am trying to take a hard stance to say distros should be rolling because a lot of times we get so far behind in the technology six to twelve months you're bringing all these new people this is a new time for Linux it's not the old days where you know one person joins every five years you've got thousands of people <laughs> flooding in and they're bringing their latest and greatest stuff with them they're not bringing 10 year old laptops and 20 year old laptops some still are but there's a va- there's a big majority of people coming in brand new that are frustrated with windows that have the latest hardware and they want it to work and i agree with noah not having the ability to scale 4k right now is a major issue it's not because most people, it's not a standard. Most people don't, in fact, have 4K monitors. Most people right. in gaming, especially, have 1080p or 1440p is the gaming standard. But still, you have the same issue in 1440p. But, if you don't have scaling, but then you're, you're not going to um, really impress people coming over to Linux. A lot of creative professionals do have the higher resolution display, yep. right? And so they are not even going to give Linux a second glance 
until those things are supported across the board. Yeah. Yeah. They should just use plasma. Problem mm-hmm. So here you are then with your 27 inch 4K monitor. What do you want the distro to do out of the box to that 4K display for you? I want it to do 1.5x scaling across the board. So why don't you just put your monitor... 1.5x or 1.75? So 1.5 scaling, you might as well take your monitor down to 1440. Well, that's a... I mean, that's And I'm playing devil's advocate here. Oh, I know you are. I know you are. Um, That's the exact number that I put my 1440 monitor up by to get it to go to 4K. So I'm I'm with you with 1.5K. I think that's the, the ultimate... If you set well, I, I always thought that it, the high DPI is kind of a pointless, irrelevant, useless tech, technology. Not in the sense that we shouldn't support yeah. it. We should support it. But when you uh, when you improve the, the 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 visibility of using the system by making everything bigger to look like it would be if you had a lower resolution, what's the point? Pixel density. Yep, exactly. There, there, there's a big point when you look matters. at the actual pictures, and and Jason made a great point. There's, about there's high DPI. High DPI, that's lower resolution. You can still get that. Yeah. What it should do, I think, is when you go into KDE and you plug in a second monitor, a little pop-up box comes up and says, hey, do you want to move the monitor to the right? Do you want to move the monitor to the left? Do you want to mirror it? It automatically detects that you've plugged in a second monitor and gives you that menu. That's exactly what happens. It should pop up and say, hey, I detected you have a high DPI monitor. What what scaling do you want to use? One point five. Oh, right, right. That'd be oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It does what do what you said, where where it's asking kind of how you want to present it, but it absolutely does not. The, yeah, give you the high, that would be a, a great thing. I'm I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it because it's it's a thing that exists and there should be support because people are going going to expect it. Uh, I just think that overall, if you have a high a really high pixel density for 1440p you're going to have the best of both worlds without having to deal with the scaling for no reason. Now, you see, that's, that's where I disagree, and that's where I put my, thir- my 1440p monitor up to 2160. Because on 1440, I can have two browsers side by side and read them quite easily. Yeah? If I go 4K, I can have three browsers side by side, scale them to 1.4, st- still have three browsers, and read them perfectly. So you might think you're losing because you're upscaling, but you've still got that desktop space. It, unless you've seen it, it, it's hard to explain. Yeah, I get what you're saying, Zeb, but that you're actually losing, even though it doesn't matter to you personally, but you're actually losing pixel density by taking mm-hmm. a 1440p monitor and then upscaling it to 4K. And it so can be done, but you're losing pixel density, which doesn't matter to you. But if you're in a, you're an artist. Oh, of course. Doing yeah. a picture, then you can't have that type of. Well, it actually should. Wouldn't. It actually should matter to you though, because it's it's more of an eye strain. The less yeah. pixels that are on your screen, it, that's going to strain your eyes more, especially when it comes to reading text. But the strange thing is, I, if if I put um, this Word document or this document that we've got open now, Word document, where am I going? Um, and I'm looking at the interview questions on my 14.4 monitor upscaled to 4K or my 4K monitor. I can't tell the difference between the text. I mean, I think I was just genuinely lucky with this monitor and it's got a fantastic panel on it. Mm. But I understand what you're saying. Sometimes you'll put it on a different resolution and it will look so much crisper. Well, keep in mind, pixel doubling is not changing the resolution, right? It's still right. If you've got four pixels in a square, it's still displaying all four of those pixels. They're just all the same color. 
So let's move on from the topic because people are probably like, yeah, I have my 1080 monitor and don't care. So staying <laughs> on the topic of favorites. 1366 by 768, Ryan. 3040 are... by 1080 or get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so staying on the topic of favorites, what are, if you get, you get a lot of new hardware, which is really cool. Every time you do a post on Twitter, I drool a little bit and I'm, I'm like, I'll show him. I'm going to go order it too. And now I'm broke. <laughs> but um when you get a brand new laptop or a desktop in, what are some of the first apps that you want to go install? Because we people love this question with our guests is what are some of the apps you can't live without that you found? Standard notes. Okay. Uh, Pharonix test suite. Nice. Steam. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Um, Telegram. Good. What else? What else? Those are, yeah, those are just the, all the, all the ones that I'll install in a single batch. Um, what do you do your article writing in? Lutris. For sure. Lutris, for sure. You don't do your article writing in Lutris. I do. No, no, I do. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Could I install? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I honestly just do it on the browser in our uh, back end. That is cool. Um, otherwise, I'm using LibreOffice. Mm-hmm. What, what email client do you use? Or do you do it web-based? I use ProtonMail on the web. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I... I I've tried using the the bridge, but it updates so often that I'm just kind of annoyed with that, even though props to them for updating it so often, right? Of course, that's that's wonderful. But it's just so easy to use on the web. Yeah. That's what and, I found and, too. And, and you know, if I have to reply on my phone, it's it's I'm a I'm a uh I forget the level, but I'm a I'm a customer, I'm a paying uh Proton mail customer. So nice. you know, it's nice to have your signature, your web based signature, um singing to your uh phone app if you need to reply on your phone, which I normally hate doing because I have to have a real keyboard in front of me to get anything done. Have you tried um, the uh, the desktop app from uh, ProtonMail with the, the Electron version, which is kind of the same thing, but adds a little extra stuff to it? No, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I, that, I didn't know they had a, a, an actual client. Yeah. I thought they were just bridging into clients like Erie or Thunderbird or something. I could be confusing it with Tutanota. Or because, huh. but, but I'm pretty be, sure they I've do. I've not heard of it either, and that would be very exciting if that's true. Like I think well, they do, but for Proton. yeah, yeah, there is. I, I used to use it. Yeah, that's what I thought for Proton Mail. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's an app image. Huh. I'm pretty yeah. sure of it. Learning lots in this interview. There you go. But they, they, I think it's really cool because they add. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, they add extra desktop notifications and stuff to it, and awesome, all, like all kinds of like are they, benefits. Are they native? They're they're native. Uh, I mean, do they are they integrated like system native notifications yes, yes. oh cool oh it man it does exist that. you weren't lying yeah. i didn't even know that when i signed up i had no idea because it was just <gasps> use use proton mail bridge for thunderbird or something yeah that's oh, the, that is not an ideal solution but the, the the using if you're using the web app anyway the using the electron app makes it a lot easier and you get extra benefits because it uses lib notified to, to connect to your system for notifications so it does use like the the standard native whatever your de uses Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then to sort of round out answering your question, uh, Screen Fetch nice. and Terminator. Yeah. Those I mean, the, the, the f- just a the little first few that I can think of off the top of my head. Little tiny tip uh, Neo Fetch is probably a little better than Screen Fetch. Uh, Why? What's the difference? Uh, ne- Screen Fetch is not updated as much. Neo Fetch is heavily updated and it supports a lot more distributions and gives you more oh. details. All right. So. And it's it's nice. it's it's worth checking out anyway because it just if you're trying out so many distros to write articles on, it might be more useful and to find out like whether it supports or not. Because sometimes people yeah. will like will create, uh, like for example, you have an Ubuntu based distro and it will have like information about Ubuntu because they didn't make any changes 
Uh, whereas NeoFetch would actually go in and test to make sure that that stuff worked. Oh, that is a good tip. Nice. You wrote an article, and in your own words, you described it as somewhat scathing. We'll have a link oh. for, for people that, that want to check it out in the in the show notes. And this was regarding yes. Linux gaming, right? Specifically, you state that the Novu drivers for NVIDIA AMD drivers taking so long to get updates, etc. In your opinion, what what improvements need to be made to improve Linux drivers? Well, okay, to improve NVIDIA-based Linux gaming drivers? Well, NVIDIA or AMD. Uh, where, where, how, I guess let me rephrase the question. Let me ask it this way. Where do you see the state of, of drivers on Linux right now? Much healthier than they were six months ago. Really? So yeah. it's changing that rapidly? I think so. I really do. Okay. I mean, if, it, you look at just, if you look at just in, in a three-month period, maybe even less than that, maybe two-and-a-half-month period, and, and now I'm going to preface this by saying that Ubuntu might be the most popular distro, but it's not necessarily a pioneering distro. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure, that's for sure. sure. That's for sure. Okay, okay. So what we've seen with Ubuntu in the last two and a half, three months is we've seen them come out and say, hey, with 1904, you're going to be able to, provided that you're connected to the internet, you're going to be able to download that NVIDIA proprietary driver and install it, right? And then they said, okay, 1910... Now, you, now we're just putting it on the ISO and you don't even have to download it. And so if you look at that small window of time where with 1810, it was, it was a little bit different, right? Yeah, you had to use the, uh, the actual installer tool that was inside. Once you booted into Ubuntu, there was like a thing. It's like, so you have, res- you have restricted extras or you have like... We've yeah, so you had to enable that and then you had to add the repository, I think, to if you wanted to get updates or I, I don't quite remember the process. But mm-hmm. so they have brought a noticeable... Uh, improvement to the user experience in just the span of three months. Wow! At least announced announced changes, right? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think that's I think that's a big, big, big deal. But what I really think needs to change is people need to be more aware of the differences in drivers, and I don't think the distros are doing a good enough job telling them. Look, if you have a, you know, a ThinkPad X1 Extreme that uses hybrid graphics, but you're using Fedora, you're in for a world of hurt <laughs> because we're, you know, because you're probably going to boot to a black screen because we're using Nouveau. Mm-hmm. Is it Nouveau or Nouveau? Nouveau. I think it's Nouveau. It's Nouveau. Nouveau. Okay. And so I think that I think that Linux users just need to be more educated by the the distro developers. Um, look, if this is your your use case scenario, right? If you're not gaming, you're not doing any pro graphics, Nouveau is okay for you. But if you're going to do anything in the realm of pro graphics or gaming, you have to have this proprietary driver and here's why. And so, you know, when you look at the fact that there's AMD GPU Pro, but then there's also the Mesa version, and then there's an open source NVIDIA driver and a proprietary driver, and it's different across every distro, how you obtain that proprietary driver and how it's updated. And we need more uniformity. That's, that's, that's my, my simple answer, is there has to be more uniformity across the board. We need some kind of standard that is accepted by everyone. Yeah, I This mean, is how, no matter what distro you're using, this is how the drivers get updated. Right. That would be nice, very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how that gets accomplished, but I, I really. You, but that's where we need take to take away. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've sure. got to take away that that uh, that vagueness and you know that that uncertainty. 
Sure. I mean, that, that that's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. But uh, Linux is growing at an unprecedented, an unprecedented rate in popularity over the last few years just in general. Uh, however, it's only a small percentage of the overall desktop market. What do you think yeah. it needs to be in order to change to Linux and for it to continue its growth in the desktop space? I know the drivers are going to be a part of that, but do you think <laughs> there's anything else to it? <laughs> You're not going to like my answer. We'll see. Well, try us. <laughs> Somebody get Let, the boot button ready. All right. <laughs> Lest it, okay. The answer is twofold. Uh, the answer is more commercial apps like Adobe on Linux. And the second answer is that won't ever happen until there are far less distros for people to use. Mm. Interesting. I, I agree with that 100%. And you know what, Michael, and I'm, I, I'm not saying this to pick on him, like legitimately, I believe Michael is the perfect example of that, right? Michael, you've talked about numerous times the, the reason that you run a VM, not a dual boot, but a VM, the reason you run a VM is because there are software that you need and the, the large software manufacturers that are out there are not going to commit money to making 37 different versions of their software to run on 37 different distros, depending yeah. on what flavor, the, what, what direction the wind blows that week, right? I mean, if they had like a snap, an amp image, or a flat pack, that all, that, those things yeah. make it possible. Yeah. But that's even three, that, even that's too many. No, 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 no. Or, I just, I said, or, if they could pick any but, of the three and I'm the, fine the with problem, it. problem, <laughs> but here's the thing, the, the fact that you have to say or because you don't know which one they're going to, that, that, you, right there, you've already lost them. Right. Well, no, they could just pick. They could pick one. It doesn't matter. And they're more they're than likely. Going. They're more than likely going to pick Snaps because they have the canonical connection. They're, and they're not going. They're not going to pick anything. They're going to say, uh, "When you Linux users figure it out, when no, you figure out what district you want that. to be on, you let us know, and then we'll make a we'll make a package for you." I don't think they care about that. They care about what's easiest and what makes the most sense uh, commercially, which would be like Snaps because they'd have a, a support with canonical or something. But what makes the sense the most? Com most commercially, what's going to get the largest target audience on Linux? And that's going to be dependent on when you when y'all get on one distro that we can target, come back to us, let us know, and we'll talk. I mean, there's definitely some part of it, but they're not going to be like, as far as like the one distro thing, they're, 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 I agree that the form, universal, universal formats are not the end-all, be-all, but they have removed the incredibly awful experience of building different packages for different distros with different yep. versions of the same distro. All of that stuff is kind of becoming an issue, a non-issue a non for companies like that. And I would say that Adobe is one of those companies that it, once that once that company has decided to make software for Linux, it would eliminate a lot of people who are who want to switch but can't. So let's let's circle that back to uh, let's circle that back to Jason. So Jason, do you see things like universal packaging, like Snap Images or Snap Packs and 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 Flat Packs, being something that uh, can alleviate the concern of people wanting to be on various distros and yet giving commercial software vendors an opportunity to target all of the distros at the same time? Mostly yes. Uh, mostly yes. I you know the the advantage there is that it's a sandboxed environment, right? Um, but there's still, there's still, oh man. That's it. You don't, you don't have to finish that sentence. You said, yeah, you said mostly know. yes, I mean, no I, is wrong. We're good. To be honest, <laughs> uh, it's, it's again where I'm going to have to, you know, pull out the noob card and, and say, I really don't understand these platforms enough on a technical level to, to give you an informed answer. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that they're good and they're convenient. And I, I certainly think that they lower the barrier a bit for, for new users. Mm -hmm. um, especially if, you know, if I'm using something like, um, like elementary down the road, right. Which is going to have flat pack support built in. And I have that access to that huge range of hardware now, and it's just a one click install. That's great. 
but I know that there's also some serious support headaches that, that come into play if if something like Adobe Creative Cloud, you know, entered the Linux scene as a flat pack, well, then you can say, okay, technically 40, 50 plus distros can support it, but those distros are going to introduce all kinds of new wrinkles into the software and into the way a user interacts with that software. And then Adobe has kind of a, a, a support nightmare on their hands because it's not just the software. It's not just the Adobe software. It's all of the middleware that is also super important to using Adobe products. It's all the middleware. It's all the codecs. Mm. It's all of that stuff. And so that really has to be absolutely the same across the board. The, the, the benefit of having flat packs and snaps, you can actually do like in dependency connection to each, with each other. So you could have like, and you could create like a platform snap for Adobe. So they could technically do all that because there is, they're not like exclusively sandboxed applications. They they can have interconnection stuff. So that, that there's oh, possibility okay. for okay. both flat packs and snaps to do that. App images kind of can too, but they they don't really sandbox either. They're more of a just a mm -hmm. simple uh, package that contains stuff, but not actually containerized structures. Um, but those two, those, it is technically possible. And I do think that it would be in Adobe's case, it would be a lot more complicated because of the Adobe bridge and that kind of thing. So that's a good point, but I, I think it is technically possible if they wanted to do it. So let's move away from, from software uh, for the moment. Uh, um, Jason, you've had a chance to play with a variety of hardware um, for Linux, such as Dell, Star Labs, Entroware, System76, and the like. Which hardware vendor has impressed you the most with their support for Linux and their desire mm -hmm. to get into that market? Ah, the desire to get into that market. Wow. Hmm. I really would have to say System76. Yeah. I, really I was like, would. there's only I, one answer here. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I wanted to think about it. I, <laughs> I wanted to give a fair, uh, you know, fair consideration to someone like Introware because I think that they're making uh, great desktops, mm -hmm. but they're not distinguished quite enough. You know, where where System76, like they are just all in from a community standpoint, from the fact that they're making their own distro that complements their hardware, uh, to the fact that, you know, I would I would have said Dell six months ago, believe yeah. it or not. But uh, Dell to me, like it still feels like something in the background for them. Yeah. It still feels like, you know, when I like as as cool as Barton George is. Yep. You know, you shouldn't have these awesome announcements for Precision Workstation Developer Editions on Bartonsblog.com. Yeah, like on his individual <laughs> blog. On, yeah, this should be on Dell.com. It should be easy to find. There should mm. not be a Windows key on my Developer Edition XPS 13. Breach it. There should I mean, be a super key, and it's yeah. little things. It's little things like that. And yeah. um, I, I've been so impressed with the the Oryx Pro thus far. That it's just a solid. It's a. It's an amazing, sexy piece of hardware. Mm -hmm. I mean, I may be doing a Dell a disservice, but for me, it's. I think just someone in the accounts office going, "Hey guys, don't forget to pump out a Linux because we can get another two percent sales this month or something." It's. It's not that they really want to push it. It's just another feather in their bow, and they just put it along. Well, it's kind of I different. Mean, it's kind of because uh, Dell is, is, is like with some project. some departments, like the department that's doing the Linux thing, they really want to push it and they really care. It's just they're a small cog in the gigantic wheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and let me give you some insight from, from someone who used to do marketing at AMD uh, because we used to work with uh, the OEM side of Dell quite a mm -hmm. bit. And it takes 
months and months just to, just to like make a change on their website. You know, it, <laughs> it is a, it is a mighty machine that moves very, very slow. It takes months and months just to be a user trying to go through their checkout system. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, and it's, ask me this question two years and I'm, you know, two years later and I may have a different answer, but I just, there's something about system 76 that appeals to me because they're so energetic and they're so agile and they're, you know, they have created that out of nothing and they're a big company. I think they're bigger than you guys think they are. They're very successful and it's, Mm -hmm. it's really cool to see that. But, uh, I did a tour of their warehouse and it was a lot bigger than I expected and they had a lot more set up. And then uh, just having a conversation with, uh, with representatives from system 76, you find out a lot of stuff that they're not necessarily, uh, you know, very public about, or they, yeah. uh, and there's also just that, that not only are they bigger than you think, they're also, uh, they're, they're more dedicated than you might think is it's not just, we see this market, we have a value of this market. We understand we're going to, we're going to get some money here. It's, they have like massive dedication to the point where they have customized, uh, the, the grill for the fans that is a custom designed representing the epoch the epoch time for unix time like that that level of detail of like they they mm-hmm. care a lot yeah that that is that's hard to find anywhere else and every system 76 employee i've interacted with they're serious but they don't take themselves serious and that is a really fun Yep. community for part of system mm-hmm. 76 you really don't get anywhere else you know they they're very serious about what they're doing but their employees have fun and they don't take themselves too seriously but i do want to go back to the dell portion because michael you touched on something but it was project sputnik that started linux in dell's um factory basically it was a bunch of employees that said hey we want to get together and we want to create as a bunch of developers within dell we want to create Linux Dell or Dell based Linux laptops in there and Dell allowed it to happen. And I do think they deserve a feather in their cap for allowing projects Mm -hmm. like that to happen where their developers are allowed to, you know, go in there, their data scientists and everything else and create a project like this. But I also agree it doesn't get the attention that it should. But my goodness, I really do like using my Dell XPS uh, with Linux. It just works. I love, I have to tell you, the the crazy thing, I don't know what it is about that laptop. I don't know if it's the keyboard or the... It's It's that bezel, man. It's It's probably that, yeah, that that bezel-less display. But I've got two Intel Hades Canyon Nooks. I have a a custom uh, Threadripper Ryzen 7 system that I built. I've got two other desktop PCs and, and like six to seven hours out of the day, I'm sitting and writing on my XPS 13 and I'm working on that. Yeah. And the battery, <laughs> it's a real, it's a thing. real testament to, to how great a machine that is. But yeah, the, the Dell discussion, I, I just, I get the feeling and there, I have nothing to back this up. Okay. But I get the feeling that they could take that promotion of their Linux systems to the next level. But someone close to the top is just a little afraid of that happening, maybe because of relationships with other companies. So speaking uh, of, other I think companies, it's political. I really think it's political. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right. There probably is a risk there. And speaking of those other companies, Microsoft loves Linux. Um, at least that's what we're being told nowadays. Uh, so I was really curious as a um, tech writer, you've been in the industry for a long time, but uh, newer into the Linux realm. What is your take on the recent occurrences with Microsoft shipping 
with a Linux kernel inside is WSL. Is uh, this WSL two? Yeah. yeah. Is this great for Linux, or is Microsoft just giving people less reasons to leave their Windows environment? No, it's great for Microsoft. Yeah. It's bad for Apple. It's better for Microsoft, and I. That's kind of where my opinion ends. Um, I don't think you know Microsoft is clearly doing this to to pull developers away from Apple. In my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, now. I don't think they're doing anything to bring new Linux users just the way that they're framing it and marketing it. You know, I don't think that the ability to install WSL 2 and throw Ubuntu on your Windows 10 computer is something that a lot of people are going to do. And uh, I don't know that it, I don't know that it really has an adverse or a positive impact on the overall Linux world right now. I think that it's something Microsoft has to do to to keep pace with what developers' needs are. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the fact that, you know, Linux, we talk about the dark ages of Linux, you experienced it back in 2000, but Linux users have had to fight for all of these years to get anything compatible, you know, gaming, for instance, <laughs> to work in uh, work with Linux. They've had to fight and fight and basically reverse engineer everything Microsoft releases to attempt to get certain things to work. And have just, you know, they've done it and it's an amazing accomplishment, but it's not been easy. And the second Microsoft's like, hey, we're kind of interested in Linux. A lot of the distros and bigger companies that represent us in Linux bend over backwards to make sure not only does Linux work well in Windows, but it's the latest versions and it's patched and hmm. to help you, Microsoft. Do you think that's a good move? I think that I, I think that maybe that could end up helping those distros. Hmm. Right? I, I mean, I don't know, you know, that has to be a two-way street, I would imagine. And, you know, Microsoft does have a lot of open source contributions, right? So maybe... I don't know, man. <laughs> it's such a that's such a difficult question to answer. It really is. I and yes, I'm aware of the whole you know embrace, extend, extinguish. Yeah, right. uh, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't but, either. I do think it's just odd that you know in some ways there's so much focus on making this work right. Like they're not even making them try. It's just like yeah. hey. What can we do to support it and patch it and make sure it works perfect? And I'm like, can Microsoft uh, do that with DirectX 12 and throw some bones uh, this way? Uh, yeah. I mean, they are sort of, them? but in like yeah. the the they're doing everything that Microsoft is doing is interesting because they are doing some beneficial things for themselves, of course, which is naturally what they're going to do. But they are doing beneficial things for the Linux side, like, for example, using SQL Server uh, on Linux. You can do that now. Or having .NET open-sourced and having that available on Linux. Mm. All These things are interesting, but they're all developer enterprise-only things. Like, they're not doing anything that's desktop-oriented that would be would actually be interesting in proving that Microsoft actually cares. So it, for, for me, it feels like they're doing uh, embrace, extend, ignore. Well, let me, let, me, let me flip this question on its head a bit, okay? Do you think that clear Linux will be a threat to Windows 10 in three to five years? No. No? No. 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 Because the, wow. the, the first of all, the space that Clear Linux is trying to compete in is not a space that Windows is trying to compete in in the first place. And second of all, Clear Linux is, I think, a long way to go to 
establish itself as uh, it's, it's more performant than a lot of other districts. So there's that. But it's got a long ways to go before we get to a point where, where companies are going to whole hog dump districts like Ubuntu in favor of clear Linux. Yeah. Unless you're test unless you're specifically doing benchmark testing. Yeah. Well, OK, but will they will they perhaps move from Windows to clear Linux? Unlikely. No, no. no. because clear, so? clear Linux is, okay. is not even known in the Linux world. Uh, so, like, they have to compete with, like, bigger names like Red Hat and Ubuntu and all this other stuff. I don't think that Clear Linux is, uh, like, I don't even think they want to. Like, the, their desktop experience is not good. Like, the the installer, really no, the installer that. has improved, but it's still not user-friendly. They, they're, they're still, they, they're focused mostly on, uh, like, the cloud implementation of their structure. So, like, they, they that's really what they're going for. And they're going for, like, benchmark benefits. And, like, yes, Clear Linux is almost always in the top three, if not the top one uh, for the benchmarks. But they, they're, they're, no one uses it because it's not really in that field. Like, it's they, yes, Intel makes it, but d- is that enough to justify that eventually it'll be something that takes over all these different other distros. I would say no, but mainly because Intel also uh, makes hardware that has zombie load, has meltdown, and going to have at least three more. So, Okay, well, I'm with you on that part. <laughs> that, yeah. The so, Zeb, you recently used Clear uh, Linux. What, what were your thoughts? Um, it's probably the single fastest distro I've used. Um, it's, it's lacking certain features that you just take for granted, and I can't remember what they were off the top of my head. Um, but I have to disagree slightly with Michael in as much that I thought the installer was very easy to use, um, as easy to use as the Solus installer or Calamari's or maybe not as easy as uh, Ubiquity or the MX, but certainly it's improved a lot from from what it was. Yes, it improved. Could I use it as my daily driver? No, because there were certain components that didn't work and couldn't work, but for my old machine to be able to boot from desktop to desktop in 30 seconds with all of this sh- stuff that it had to go through, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. I would say that it's that, that, that there's a lot of things that are cool about um, Clear Linux. But I'm saying, like, my point is, is that they are focused more, more on doing everything themselves. So, like, they have their own packaging system. They have their own mm-hmm. implementation of how the kernel's supposed to be working. And, and all this. They have so many things that are different. I don't think that they have the ability to become the biggest name really at all, mainly because there's other things. Like, if, if anything, Clear Linux would be the opposite of what people would want because that's even more fragmentation because they don't hmm. accept what people uh, already do. Just, yeah, but that's an interesting way to bring it from yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, shut the door on Intel just yet because they are a multi-million dollar corporation. Yeah, but they're now working on trying to get their hardware not to be terrible. So, have you tried their store for apps? It's amazing. They call it Meltdown. It's amazing. You go in. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) When when uh, when Intel starts to leverage their multi million dollar ship, I guess, and and starts to flex their arm for for Clear Linux, then I think we have to reevaluate that. Jason, you're working on a project with the community that focuses on ways for people to contribute. Tell us about that project and its goals. Ah, yes. Um, so it, it's basically a, uh, project that is, wow, I just became brain dead. Um, it happens. You've yeah, almost made it two, 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 hour, two hours of, of sitting there on a show. We'll do that to you. <laughs> it is, uh, it is something that is hosted on GitHub that is targeted at 
making it easy for people contribute to contribute to the uh, the Linux and open source community, right? All the projects, all the distros, all the software, because it's hard to find how to contribute, and it's hard to even know what people need, and it's uh, it's it's hard for people who have an interest in giving something back to even know if they're capable of doing that. And so I had written this article about eight ways that, that people can contribute, even if you can't write a single line of code. And uh, that's over, that's over at Forbes.com. And, you know, it's everything from contributing to marketing to, uh, you know, making music or uh, helping with the website, helping with bug hunting uh, documentation. Like there's, everyone has a skill that can be used to contribute back to the open source world. And so the, the goal of the project was to take that article and turn it into a really comprehensive resource uh, for, for people to find how and where to contribute to almost any open source project under the sun. And I know that's a little bit ambitious, but and so far, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pull up some of uh, I'm just gonna pull up the project real quick. Because you open source this project, right? Where anybody can yeah. go in there and contribute and add in additional ways to you know um, you know find ways to contribute back to the projects that they love, and it's just such an important thing that honestly, a lot of distros and software out there they don't make it easy to help them. At all, and so no, and if they yeah. do, and if we do have something, it's it's really outdated, or you know, or confusing so on its many, own. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many areas of opportunity, and so what we've got so far, this is this is incredible. Like it's it's just absolutely incredible to me. 143 commits, 15 different contributors, and it's only been live for like two and a half weeks. That's awesome. And nice. so we went from having nothing but my article and a few links to uh let's see yeah i don't know 25 different distros and then uh, five bsd distros desktop environments desktop applications server applications and it just goes on and on and and we're even talking about um building out the wiki so that you know fedora might have it fedora might be like a multi-part uh, portion of the wiki, but it's, it's all, it's all kind of, it's all kind of, uh, in flux, but everyone's coming along and they're, they're posting issues and then we're talking about how can we make this, you know, can we use something like Hugo? Should we, should we host it on uh, a website where people can find it? Another guy came along and he has created a website and Twitter account called I make Foss. And what we're going to do with that is have, um, it's kind of a, like a curated account, right? So every week will be a new developer who actually take over that Twitter account and just talk about what they're doing. Awesome. Interesting. And then that's, that's going to try, we're going to try to, you know, tie that into this project to, to bring more, more visibility into it. It's really in its infancy right now, but what has blown me away is the fact that there are so many people just showing up and contributing to it. Yeah. That that is the that is the you know, open source community right there. Yeah, it's it's nowhere near nowhere near finished. It'll never be finished. Right. But you know, and it won't always live on GitHub either. It'll ho- hopefully have a little more of an attractive uh home on the web. But for for a few weeks at the most, this thing has 
really come alive and nice. it just started, it just started from an article and an idea and that idea, people liked it and they, they came along and they made it better. <laughs> and that's like the whole point. Yep. yep. Excellent. So let's bring it back to hardware again. Uh, what's your take on the current lineup of Linux for mobile devices and which one are you the most excited about trying or are you like, yeah, what's the point? Because they're never going to beat Samsung or Apple. I uh, I am most excited about uh, Huawei's next phones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's that's a very good point. I'm I'm interested to see what they do too. So and and it could be Linux based. We don't know. I never know. Yeah. Uh, I I have very little experience with uh, the mobile side of of Linux. Although I actually discovered the other day that I have a tablet that I can throw Lineage uh, onto quite easily. It's a nvidia shield tablet nice and, and apparently that's uh really easy to install onto onto that tablet so i'm going to give that a spin hopefully next week or the week after because you know everyone has been telling me you really have to try you know ubuntu touch or uh, you know the the ub port stuff that they're working on or mm-hmm. yeah or something and i just uh you know it's one of those one of those things in a very very long list of of things to try but I will say this. I think that the the recent Huawei situation is exactly why open source is so important. Yep, absolutely. Because, you know, you have the world's second largest mobile manufacturer getting the, the rug yanked out from under their feet because of a few proprietary apps and services. And it's, yeah, it, that's why we need more of these companies to rely more on open source operating systems instead of proprietary. It's just it's that simple. So yeah, I think that I think that moving forward, this is more important than, than people realize. I, I agree with you. And um, it's interesting, uh, if you want to see another really passionate community within Linux, the Ubuntu Touch team is just that. They are mm-hmm. so passionate about that product and so talented. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy when you, you do get a chance to look at some of the stuff that uh, they're doing or even speak with them because they're, they're just great at what they do. Cool. Um, I know you from your articles that you do lots of gaming, which is always acceptable in our book and makes you <laughs> one of us. Um, but so what are some of your favorite games right now that you're playing on Linux? Well, this won't be a surprise to my Twitter followers, but uh, Magic the Gathering Arena. Nice, nice. Uh, Dirt Rally 2.0. Okay. And right now that's about it. Okay. Because I've been doing I've been doing way more benchmarking than I have actual gaming, but that's something that I, I, I'm gonna change with uh with the Oryx Pro. Right. So Rocket League, yeah, went, of course. Went down to a coffee shop for like three days in a row and uh just had a little download fest <laughs> for Steam. Um, out of curiosity, Magic the Gathering works within Linux or is it well all web based now? Oh no, it's uh it's its own client, but it works on Lutris flawlessly. Nice. It's Very a cool. uh yeah, it's Windows only, but uh it works perfectly on Lutris. Yeah, the Lutris so, people make some amazing stuff. Like they take games that the companies who have no intention of even supporting Steam or anything and then still make it work on Linux and they make it work easily. So you just go to the install. Oh, I just want to play this game, click install, okay, done. That is, it's it's so impressive the stuff they're able to do with like getting Overwatch and stuff like that to work. Yeah, those guys those guys are talented and um, they they deserve a lot more recognition and I think they deserve a lot more funding as well. Yep. 
Um, so what are some exciting things that you are, we, we can expect from, to see from you from the, like the near future for like for articles or just, you know, projects that you might want to start up, start up or anything like that? <laughs> well, I'm actually developing a podcast. Nice. nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's, I mean, that's about all I can say. I've got some, some really fun ideas for it and I, I don't know where it will land or. Okay, yes, I'll be a guest. <laughs> 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 But yeah, that's something that's something that I've I've just always been so drawn to. You know, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of the first, I think, thirty podcasters in the world back in two thousand four, and it's not something I I just can't I can't get away from it. Like my my dream job right now, Forbes is pretty great, but if you could tell me, you know, if you told me that I can basically do what we're doing now full-time just sitting in my underwear not that i'm in my underwear but well now we know why the camera's off <laughs> that's why the camera's <laughs> off yep uh then that would be a dream because it's it's you know writing is uh very cathartic and you can express your opinion and your stance exactly the way you want but it's a one-sided conversation mm-hmm. and I, there's nothing quite like just engaging in that same topic with, you know, four guys in the community. Can we just be clear that there's nothing wrong with doing a podcast in your underwear? <laughs> oh, I agree. I totally okay. agree. Especially I in the summer. want to make sure that we're all it's clarified. Summer, especially in the summer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, beyond that, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on more of the, the Linux gaming report uh, articles. And I don't know if I've, I think I mentioned this on Twitter, but uh, this month is going to be the Arch Linux challenge. Yes, yes, the best challenge. There's going to be, there's going to be some, some articles up on Forbes and probably confusion on my Twitter feed. And uh, we've got a Telegram group. It's uh, the Telegram group is Arch challenge. If you guys want to join that and there's already like a ton of much smarter people in there who can help you. (laughs) So I love that you're doing an arch challenge. I think that's absolutely amazing. And if your articles are, you know, negative towards arch in any way, I will fly to Croatia and find you. So I, I can't say something <laughs> wow. like arch is, arch is actually unnecessary and people should just use Mandaro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. You can Ooh. send your email if you're an arch user to Jason.Evangelo. No, I, I mean, I think, I think, I'll just say this. In the morning that I spent installing Arch three times, uh, because the first was a failure, and the second I successfully booted into a GNOME desktop with absolutely no apps installed. Well done. Uh, No utilities, no nothing. And then the third time I actually did it properly. But I learned quite a bit about all the layers happening with between, you know, that dialogue between your hardware and the kernel and what those graphical installers are actually doing and uh you know learned like how to how to connect to wi-fi via the command line that's crazy that's crazy and it was already just in just in a morning such a cool learning experience where uh i felt like i could apply those new commands that i learned to any distro right to troubleshooting any, any distro that i'm on and so now for, yeah i'm i'm really excited to I know this sounds insane, but I want to install it a few more times and I want to, to use it as, as my daily driver for a bit and, and really just kind of stretch yeah. out a little bit and, and see what, what there is to discover there. 
That's actually not insane at all. In fact, it's really good advice for Arch and individuals interested in Arch mm -hmm. to just install it a few times in the VM or, you know, on a computer that you're not worried about losing the info on and do it over because that learning you had the first couple of times trying it, it only, every time I install Arch, there's something new. Um, and in the lug group that I have, we did this this weekend where we installed Arch with the whole group on an individual's computer. And it was just, you know, it was amazing. Some of the folks who've been in Linux for a long time, but have just stayed away from Arch because they're told, oh, it's so hard to install all the things. They were like, wow, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Wow, I didn't realize that that's how, wow, look at all this stuff we're learning. That it was, it was a really enlightening experience yeah. um, to see that. And I think that is one of the unique things about Arch. And when you're done, you have something quite amazing. And the other great thing about Arch is once you finally install it, you're not going to distro hop because you don't want to ever think about having to reinstall it again. So that's one of the advantages. Now I, know <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but you know, go. Okay, but let's let me let me drill down into something you said there, Ryan. Was it, it, I think that you also get some level, some deeper level of satisfaction at that final absolutely install, right? Because yeah. you did you did that, right? Yeah. You that second that. it boots and it works, it's like, uh -huh. whoa, uh -huh. that feels good. It wasn't just some, you know, some click next, 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 next graphical mm -hmm. installer. Like you put the work in and you made that exactly what you wanted. Hopefully, <laughs> if you did everything <laughs> properly. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll get exactly what you wanted on a third or fourth try. You actually didn't install the, the arch the wrong way when you got the GNOME part working. You said there was no apps. That's GNOME. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Yeah. And and now I know, Ryan, why you've not broken Arch in all these months, because you're always installing it and it's always fresh. <laughs> no. You know, updates. <laughs> so there's that. No, Updated every day. Don't tell lies. Don't spread those lies. Yeah. The, my favorite thing about Arch is when people were like, talk. Uh, I was talking to some people who are Arch users or like Manjaro users, and they was like trying to switch over to Arch. And they're saying that they're, the thing they don't like about using regular Arch was not getting notified of like having a system tray icon that says you have new uh, updates and stuff. So I just said, are you using Arch? Yeah. Then you have an update. Exactly. Just like, run the command. <laughs> believe me, there's like, a thousand packages it, that need to be renewed. Yeah, it's it's there. You have some. Just if you woke up this morning and you and you check, you have them. So go ahead and do it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show. Uh, yeah, my pleasure, you guys. Yeah. Oh, uh, fun talk. Yeah, this is awesome. And uh, we also want to thank you for you're bringing such a big spotlight to Linux and exposing yes. new, new people to the to the world of open source and to Linux and everything. Mm -hmm. so, so thank you very much for that. And as well as your your dedication to the community and everything is really awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, you know, like I said, I, I didn't plan on making this uh, full time coverage, but it just that's what Linux Linux does to you. And it's been <laughs> it's been such a freaking amazing ride so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, the like the community, you know, people who are like like you know the embrace the, the embrace extend extinguish thing. The com the Linux community embraces you, and it forces you to extend yourself into it. So there you go. <laughs> a hug of death. Exactly. You never use any other OS. The hug hopefully, of death hey, and hopefully, early. hopefully, five years from now, I'm doing roughly the same thing. Maybe maybe a different medium, but but the same thing. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Nice. Same to you guys. Absolutely. <laughs> If you'd like to check out Jason, you can find his information. Uh, well, he's, he's, a, he's a writer for Forbes, but we're just going to point you to uh, his Twitter because that's where you can find basically everything. All this all stuff that you're having about the community, uh, you, can, you can engage with him there as well if you want to talk to him about his opinions on the articles and everything everything like that. You can find him at twitter.com slash killyourfm, K-I-L-L-Y-O-U-R-F-M. 
A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you didn't know this already, we absolutely 100% love our patrons and Kofi supporters. So I just want to give a special shout out to all of you who make this show happen. You sponsor this show. You make it happen every single week. Uh, we do a live show to show our appreciation for the patrons so you can come join us and be a part of the show and watch this live before it ever gets released out into the public. And you can join and get all of this for just $1. That, my friends, is darn near free. In addition to being on both Patreon and Kofi, we're also on Coffee. And if you'd like to support the show on Coffee, Coffee offers a nice monthly option that you have the same perks as Patreon and Kofi. But there'll be a link to the notes uh, on the show notes as well as our website to join join Coffee. The perks include things like access to the live shows, unedited versions of the show, as well as our most sincere gratitude. And as usual, please get back to us and let us know what you think or ask any burning questions uh, in those emails. Um, you can send those emails to comments at destinationlinux.org or you can post questions on our Telegram group, Discord, Twitter, Mastodon and a load of other ways that Michael's told us about at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact so please keep those comments and questions coming we love to read them and as you've seen from the uh, email today they they, they provoke some uh, good chat so keep them coming yep and if you want some more content the fun doesn't stop here we also have our own channels you can check out you can find ryan where he fills your brains on hardware software <laughs> and all things linux you can check him out at youtube.com slash dosgeek you can check out zeb where he you can find him driving around at insane speeds uh, moving aside caravans on his streams for Euro Truck Simulator and, and, and American Truck Simulator as well. But you can find that on youtube.com slash Zebedee Boss. You can check out my content where I do in-depth weekly good news podcast this week in Linux and also where I do other Linux-related content. Uh, you can also, uh, well, I didn't even say it, tuxdigital.com is where you go there. Uh, also, you can check out Noah where you can be found at asknoahshow.com where he takes, uh, does a talk radio show every every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, where you can uh, call in and have ask questions about business or Linux, te Linux and tech questions. Uh, and also remember to like that smash button and share the show on social media. Everybody have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.